we are in week two of our series called Exiled, and it's talking about the church that has been dispersed across uh, the known world at this time, this little area in Turkey, as Cody uh, just brought about last week. And really, if you think about it, we are a dispersed church. Like even Stone Point, we have, what, two locations, but we're one church. The church itself is dispersed across the world, so it's as if Peter is writing to us today. And so today, we're going to take a look and see what Peter has for us. And so I want to begin with uh, chapter 2, verse 3, because I think this is the point that Peter's trying to lead up to. And so I'm going to just read this out to you real quick. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so we're going to come and look at this approach here and say, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Like some of you, if I said, hey, do you believe the Lord is good? You'd raise your hand and be like, yes, I am all over that. He has has proven time and time and time again that he is good, he is faithful. Some may raise their hand and say, you know what, I thought the Lord was good, but based off of circumstances that I'm in now or previously, I question if he truly is. And then some of you may say, you know what, I've never experienced that the Lord is good. I don't even know if he's real. I'm just here to have the three coffee and donuts, right? And so, I don't know which camp you're in, but today we're going to look from this point of view that, yes, indeed, I have tasted that the Lord is good. And so with that, what do we do? Because Cody brought uh, last week that Peter, right, the disciple that is just gung-ho, doesn't really think before acting, right? You know somebody like that? You're like, oh, please don't. He, he writes to the church, the church that's dispersed. In fact, he calls them elect exiles, meaning we are exiled. If you t- have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you know that this land is not our home, that we long for heaven, we long for the inheritance that is imperishable, uh, undefiled, right, and unfaded. And that with that, we have to live a specific way because during this, this time on earth, while we long for home, We are going to have sufferings, we're going to have difficulties, and Peter says the reason why we do is so that our faith is tested, and that during that time we can honor and glorify God. And so how do we live? And that's what he's going to kind of walk through the rest of chapter 1 when we start in verse 13. So I just want to pray because I feel like that we're the Israelites. Back in, if you know the story of the Israelites where they were in captivity in Egypt, right? They were enslaved by Pharaoh and they get called out by God. They, they, they get brought out by God and they are promised this land that, that God wants to give them. But what happens? They have to wander in the wilderness for a while. And that's us. If you've indeed tasted that the Lord is good, then you've been called out of your slavery, called out of your sin, called out of your old life. We've been promised land, promised heaven, promised eternity. Yet why are we still here? So let's pray and seek God to see our purpose on this earth. Father, I pray that you teach us today. That you help us to see that you are good that you are holy, that you are just, that you are Father. God, I pray that you help us to relate in you as obedient children. God, I thank you for this text. It's 
while challenging, while I think I fail and miss the mark over and over and over, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your love that will not perish. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if we go back to verse 13 here, he's going to, Peter's going to bridge over if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then, then you know that you're exiles, you know that this is not your home, and that you're longing for eternity with God. So therefore, he starts out in 13. And there's three things in verse 13 that I think bridge kind of how we, how we need to kind of change our mind, change our perspective, so that we can live how he says we should live in the following verses. So therefore, preparing your minds for action. And this first thing here that we have to realize, we got to wake up daily and prepare our minds for action. And what this says here is, if, is back in the day, this, this word prepare means that they, they girded up their loins. And so if you know anything about, the, about what they wore back in Jesus' time, back in Peter's time, it was robes. Men wore robes. And so what they would do is to be able to be prepared for action at a moment's notice, they would hike up their robes, tied around their legs, tied around their waist, so that if something happened, they could be prepared to move and move fast. Now, what I want you to see here is that this isn't just preparing our minds. It's actually being prepared and believing that God is going to do something in your life today. Either in your life today, for you, or through you. And we have to be prepared for that. And we have to be prepared even if we look foolish. Like, I don't know about you, but if I was walking around back in that time, and and I had my robes down, and I looked over and saw this guy tied up around his waist, I'd be like, what is, what are you doing, right? I mean, he might have stood out and looked foolish. And so right here, we have to be prepared to be set apart. We have to be prepared in our minds, but ready to move at a moment's notice. So our actions need to be ready that Christ is going to do something either in us, for us, or through us today. And so then it says to be sober-minded. This isn't just to be, be lack of being drunk. It's like taking every thought into captivity. It's not allowing anything to to really take your mind off of God. And so it's being aware of the Spirit and what He wants to teach you when you're ready to go. And so it's, it's not like, obviously, if you drink too much, if you, if you put some substance into your body that kind of changes your mindset, yes, that's part of it, but part of it's not allowing to just other things captivate your time or your thoughts. Like, there's a lot of things in this world that can then captivate our thoughts, especially if we wake up in the morning. What do I have to do today? What do I need to get done today? What, how do I need to love? How do I need to, uh, how do, I need to do the rest of the day with? And God says, I want you to be prepared to be thinking about me. So that's where we have to wake up and, and really be aware of what God's Spirit wants to teach us to, today. And then also set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the third thing we have to do is realize that we don't put our hope in something earthly. That we put our hope in the grace that we will experience once we stand before Jesus in heaven. Because you and I understand grace very little. And I don't think until we stand before Jesus that we really get the magnitude of what grace is. And so we put our hope in that. Because if we put our hope in anything else, right, we can hope that we get that raise. We can hope that we can get a new job. We can hope that our kids will obey us today. We can hope that our, our car will at least make it to work. We can hope that, my, that your wife or spouse will have dinner ready when you get home. But if you put your hope in anything other than the grace of Jesus, 
we will be depressed and sad because everything of this earth fails us. It has an end, and Jesus' grace does not. And so, very first and foremost, we see here, there's three things that if indeed you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you have to be ready for action. You have to realize that God wants you right where you are today to be used and to be ready for that. You have to take every thought into captivity, and you have to place your hope in the correct thing. And if we can do that daily, the following verses become just a little more easy. And so what is that? This is kind of where we go and how we should live. As obedient children. Now, I don't know about you, but I hardly use those two terms in the same sentence, right? Except if I'm like, okay, we're going to drop the kids off at, at grandma's and grandpa's for the weekend. Be obedient children, right? That's how we use it. We're about to go eat somewhere. Be obedient children. And then you pick up the kids from, from grandpa and grandma's, and you're like, how did they do, right? You know, they were angels, right? Because they see through colored glasses, really. You pick them up, and then you talk to them, hey, what happened? And you understand that your definition of angel is very different from your parents' definition of angel, right? And yeah, I can't believe you did that. Welcome to God's world, right? As obedient children, how are we doing in that? How are we doing as obedient children? It says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, what this means here is it's not stupidity. It's not looking back and saying, man, I'm dumb. It's that we were on one side of the fence, not really understanding the other side. There's a children's book out there called Fish is Fish, and I don't know this, but my wife does because she's loves to read, and she's clever like this. But the, the point of the book is that the frog, right, a tadpole, is trying to describe to a fish the outside world. And the fish thinks through his own experiences. And I don't know if you've ever tried to explain to somebody who does not follow Christ how it means to follow Christ. People just don't get it because they've not experienced new life. And so... You that have indeed tasted and seen that the Lord is good know that the way of the old life is not good. That we are unholy, that God is holy, and he has bridged that gap to, for us to be born again, to have new life. And we don't want to go back to the former way that we used to live. And that's what he's saying. As obedient children, don't go back. But why? Why does God ask us to not go back? Because he wants to use us for his glory and his good. And so if you've ever tried to talk to somebody about Christ that's never really experienced Christ, and you still look like the same way that you used to, there's confusion there. There's doubt. Well, if God is so good, if God saved you from all this, why are you still doing the same things that you always did? And God says, wake up, be obedient children. So how are we doing at it? Like, how are we doing at, at loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Like, do you put anything else above God? Like, we don't worship carved images anymore. We just worship the things themselves, right? Money, job, status, ourself, pride. How are we doing at loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How are you doing at loving your neighbor as yourself? Do you have a family member that you just can't stand? Is there somebody in this room you just can't stand? 
How are you doing at loving your neighbor as yourself? How are you doing at don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery? Don't look lustful at, to, to someone else. Don't be angry at your brother because as, it's as if you'd committed murder. How are you doing it? Oh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are you doing as obedient children? Like this is, a, this is kind of a punch in the gut, right? You're like, man, I'm failing miserably. Why are you talking about this? Well, the good thing is we get to continue on, right? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Oh, great, this gets worse. You want me to be holy? I can't do that. Have you ever asked your kids to clean their rooms? Like, have you ever walked into the room and saw this picture here? You're like, oh my gosh. Our friends and family are coming over in five minutes. Clean your room. And then in five minutes, they're out. And then, oh wait, well, first you get this look. You ever get this look? Right? You're like, what? And so you tell them to clean their room, and they agree with you. Out of the grace of God, they agree with you. And they start cleaning, and then all of a sudden, like five minutes, they're outside playing again. And you're like, I know that that room's not clean. And so you go back and you kind of see this. And you're like, hey, that's all right. But their definition of clean isn't your definition of clean. Right? And you're like, no, let me show you what clean is. And so you start showing them, no, this needs to be picked up. This needs to be here. And what gives you the right to set the standard? Because you're the parent. And God asks us to be obedient children. And he asks us to be holy because he's holy. But our problem is, is our definition of holy. Because we tend to want to define holy as ourselves. We want to say, you know what? This, the Bible was written a long time ago. And I'm not sure that I agree with all of it. And so... Maybe your holiness looks different from God's. But we don't have the right to define holy. God does. Because he's our father. He's our parent. He's our spiritual father. And so as obedient children, he says, line up with what my standard is. So what's God's standard? Well, let me kind of give you this illustration. For Father's Day, my kids got me a Lego set. And if you know anything about me, I'm a kid at heart. And so this was perfect for me, okay? And look, like, I've never had a set this big. So I was like, actually, you know, my wife had to do something too, <laughs> right? Because spouses always have to do something on Mother's Day or Father's Day. But my kids got this, and I opened it up. There's like a thousand pieces. I was like, oh, my goodness, that is awesome. And this is the Bat Cave from the Lego Batman movie. Like, this is like pure heaven, and so, like, I opened it up, and there's eight bags in there. I've never seen one that large. And so I started looking, and I selfishly built the first two, right? And then I looked and said, okay, I got six kids, so let's assign each bag a kid, and then we're going to build together. And so we build the whole set, so it's not going to be in here, because I've already built it, and it's glorious. <laughs> but, but this is my standard, this is what the manufacturer meant for me to build, to be. And this is God's standard. This is the way that God says, is, 
I have made you, now look like me. The problem is, is we open it up, right? And it doesn't look like the picture. And so we're like, what do we do with this? Well, the good thing is, is God gives us an instruction booklet. The problem is, is we don't follow it step by step. The problem is, is we look at these pieces and go, I don't agree with these colors. I don't agree with the way that I should parent my children. I don't agree with the way that you say I should live and love my spouse. I don't agree with the way that you say I should work and honor you in all that I do. I don't agree, I don't agree, I don't agree. And then we look at it and say, why don't I line up? Because our definition of holy is different from our maker. And we don't get to pick what areas of our life we put together. Because he says in all of your conduct, that doesn't mean that you're holy when you come to church. That doesn't mean that you're holy when you, when you are at home with your family. That doesn't mean you're holy in some areas of your life, yet you're not in others. In all of our conduct, we have to be holy. And God lays it out in his word on how to live. He gives us bag number one. When you're a kid, obey your parents. Bag number two. When you're a teen, don't have sex before marriage. Obey your parents. Bag number three, when you're married, love your spouse as I love the church. Respect your husband as the church respects me. Bag number four, parenting. I'm going to tell you how to raise your kids. Instruct them in the ways of the Lord when they rise up, when they lay down, when they walk. The problem is, is we get the bags out of order or we don't agree with them. Because our definition of holiness is not the same thing. And so know that the Lord is good. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, he has defined holy. And that's how we're to live. How do we do that? I am a failed sinner over and over and over. I don't hit this mark every day. This is not a very encouraging message. Because he says here, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And that is taken directly from the Old Testament. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Now what, think about calling on a parent. What happens when we call on a parent? Usually we need something or we're hurt, right? If life is going good, we don't hear from our kids. If someone's hurt them or, or picked on them or they need something, we hear, hey, dad, hey, mom. And so if you call on God as Father, if you come to him and you say, hey, God, I believe in your blessings. I need this. I need this. I need some help. I'm hurt. Realize that he judges impartially. He's also the the parent that doesn't have a favorite. He doesn't look at one person and, and say, you know what? He's got it together. This one doesn't. So I'm gonna forget about this child over here. So if you call on him as Father, if you pray for him, for him to, to help you in your time of need, realize that there is something that we have to do as, as his child. We have to be obedient. We have to be holy as he is holy. 
And so conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, if we truly understood the holiness of God and the unholiness of man, we would have a fear and awe of God that we just can't fathom. Think about Moses. When he was at the burning bush and he said, hey, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. He hits his face out of fear because he's standing before the presence of a holy God. We should live out of fear and a reverent awe of God because he is holy and he's God. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways uh, inherited from your forefathers. What did our forefathers give us? Sin, death. Thanks, Dad. Right? If you're born of flesh, you're born of sin, and sin leads to death. And so that's what we get from being human. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. This is so good. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb, without blemish or spot. We were, parrot, we were bought, we were purchased with something that is imperishable. So guess what? If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you can't outdo his forgiveness. You can't be bad enough that he's going to not forgive you. You don't, you don't get to be the, the, the child that does things over and over and over and over and over against their parent and their parents say, you know what, I'm disowning you. God doesn't do that. Because if you could earn your salvation, you can lose it and we can't earn it. And so this is good news for us because our mark is awful. We don't hit the mark. But praise God that we have a salvation that's imperishable. That we can't do anything that will fade away God's love for us. And so he says, you've been bought with something that doesn't perish, and that's Jesus. And this always blows my mind. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. God, all-knowing, all-loving, perfect, decided to create man. Create man in his image, knowing that we'd miss the mark. That we would turn and run from him. That we'd do things our own way. Christ, being there from the very beginning, had no beginning or no end because he's God, decided to be plan A and there's no plan B. So from the very beginning, Christ knew that the thing that he created would cause his death so that we can have a relationship with the holy God and so that we can be seen as holy. This, every time I read this stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh. What? Because we wouldn't do that. As humans, we would not do that. If I knew that my... No, I better not say that. All right, so... <laughs> I was going to say, if I knew my kid would act the way he did, I might have thought of something else, but, you know, that's not right. So, um, who, through him, are believers in God. We get to be believers in God through Jesus, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Without Jesus, we don't have faith or hope in God. Without Jesus, we have nothing. We have no hope. We have no future. We have no life. Having purified your souls 
by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now I want you to get this. When we become children of God, we haven't arrived. Salvation isn't the goal. It's merely a new beginning. Once you choose to follow Jesus and you are saved based off of what he did on the cross, you are then adopted into the family of God. Now you have a responsibility. You have God's name on you. You are co-heirs with Christ. So there is something to salvation because one, again, we walk in the wilderness until we, become, until we get in the promised land. And then we are seen as righteous and holy. We are seen here at the beginning of salvation, but then we've got to do something. We've got to be holy as God is holy. And that action purifies our souls by the obedience to the truth. By obeying what God said, as obedient children, we start to look more like him. We start to be used by him. We start to look different to those around us. And that is the purpose of walking in the wilderness, is so that people will go, why did you act this way? Why are you different from how I knew you before? Why, during this time of trouble, do you seem to have joy? Because of God. Because he's changed me. He has saved me from death, from slavery, from my sin. And he's given me new life. And yet I don't look like him yet. But I'm trying to. Since you have been born again. Okay, so if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable. Again, our salvation doesn't perish. Through the living and abiding word of God. That's Jesus. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel remains forever. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what keeps us in heaven? The gospel. Like, we don't get to heaven, and all of a sudden, what Jesus did on the cross doesn't matter anymore. We get to heaven and we get to stay for eternity because of the gospel. So it never perishes. It never fades away. The reason why we can have all peace, hope, love in heaven is because of the gospel. So, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and that we need to set our standard for what God says, Peter writes and says to put away five things. While you're walking this wilderness, put away malice. And can't you see him? Like, I used to be an angry man. I, I was angry when I chopped that soldier's ear off. Put away all deceit. Man, I was deceitful. I told Jesus I wouldn't deny him. And I did. I lied. I was deceitful to those people that asked me, do you know Christ? No, I don't. All hypocrisy. I told Jesus that I wouldn't deny him, and I'm telling other people not to deny him, and I did. All envy. I really wanted to be God's favorite. God, I won't leave you. Even if all these other people will leave you, 
I'm staying with you. And all slander. Have you ever thought about that? As he tells Jesus that no, if everybody else, if all of these other disciples leave you, I'm not. Man, he just put down everybody that he was with. And, God, and he says, put away all of these things. Because that's a pretty childish way of living, right? That's our old way. When we grow up, we have anger pretty easily with our brothers and sisters. I don't know if you're only child. Praise God if you're the only child. But, man, I had two brothers, and I was angry. All deceit, yeah, I pretty much lied to my parents. Hypocrisy, yeah. Told my brothers to do some things when I wouldn't do it myself, right? Have you ever done that? Envy, man, I wanted. Do you ever hear that? Give me, give me, give me as a parent. And all slander. Those are very childish ways. And he says, as obedient children, don't live like that. So how are we doing? Like newborn infants. This, he takes it even lower now. Okay, so as obedient children, live this way. But I want you to wake up as newborn infants. Newborns need everything from their parents. They rely on everything, not even realizing that they're relying on their parents. They need it for food, for shelter, for, for clothing. They need everything. And God says, I want you to want me so much. It's, it's as if you're a newborn infant. That you rely on me not even re- realizing you're relying on me. That you're yearning, that you're longing for the pure spiritual milk. That by it, here it is, you can grow up into salvation. So we once entered in, and we are seen as holy and righteousness. We are promised to be holy and righteous in heaven. But we wander in the wilderness for years on this earth. And he says, I want you to grow up into what I believe you can be. What I make you to be. Because without Jesus, we can't be holy. We're just good at that point, and our good is pretty bad. But with knowing that we once lived in darkness, now we live in light. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, be holy as I am holy. Grow up into salvation. Long for me. Know that I'm going to do something in your life today. Know that you need to take every thought into captivity and place your hope in the salvation that I'm going to give you in heaven. And this will help you to wake up daily and live holy as I am holy. And then he ends, if indeed you've tasted and seen that I'm good. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Because if you have, you have a responsibility to be obedient children. To do what he says to do so that people that still live in darkness can see God in you. So that others can enter into the family of God and grow up into salvation. So that others can be saved by imperishable salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. And one day will not face death but face eternity with you. This is our responsibility. This is our calling. This is why you've got to live to be holy as God is holy. Let's pray.
God, I pray that you, that you continue to teach us daily, God. Because without you, we fail and we fail miserably. God, I believe that you're good. I believe that you're perfect. I believe that you love us with everything you have. God, I pray for forgiveness when I don't act like it. God, I pray for forgiveness in where I think that I'm doing okay and in other parts of my life I'm not. God, I pray that you help us understand that you are holy and that's the standard we must live up to in all of our conduct. The way that I relate to my wife, the way that I parent my children, the way that I work, the way that I relate to those that are lost, the way that I relate to my friends, wherever I go, the way that I am when no one else is around. God, I pray that I live and breathe holiness so that you can get glory and honor in everything that I do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.